Well, good morning. <clears throat> My close friend, Charles Spurgeon, once said that if he wasn't allowed to enter paradise, but it was allowed to have an alternate state, something besides that, if you weren't allowed to go into heaven, but you could choose something other, how would you pick? His answer was, I would select certain times during the preaching of the gospel. And standing before you this morning, just being with the church body that I have grown to love so deeply, um, the only thing I would add is certain times preaching the gospel at PCBC. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you, Father God, for uh, the people that are in this room. Lord, you are so very, very kind. Just the fact that you would allow us to herald the message of the gospel in this world. Dead men and women made alive and then commissioned to declare the good news of reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. Lord, I am amazed at the grace that has flowed from you towards us, Father. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. God, as we direct our attention to your word this morning and think carefully on the reality that you are risen. Father, I pray for protection for us. I pray for protection from distractions. Father, for protection from over-familiarity with Easter Sunday and the resurrection of Christ. And I ask, Father, for fresh fresh sensitivity to the Spirit of God as He illumines our minds to the Word of God for the glory of God. And so, Father, we recognize our dependency. We trust You. And pray for Your blessing now as we walk through this time in Your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would, please. Um, I am not doing an exposition of this passage this morning. This is more of a launch pad. Um, I'll be in many other portions of the Word, and so just bear with me. Um, if you're keeping notes, very simply, just three words, consideration, confrontation, and comfort. And that's just because confrontation is not a word. So, consideration, confrontation, and comfort will be kind of the three um, pieces to this message if you want to hang your thoughts on those three words and kind of track with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preach to you which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to, the, to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You cannot put enough emphasis on the vital Peace, the resurrection is to our theology as Christians. It is absolutely central to everything. The doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of those that there is no discussion. There's no margin where we can push it off a little bit. It is absolutely vital to everything we believe as Christians. I don't know if you've ever played the game Jenga. Have you played the game Jenga? Yes. Okay. So there's some born again in the room. The game Jenga is one of my very favorite games simply because it's simple and doesn't take much brains and there's really no rules. Uh, I like that a lot. Basically, if you haven't played the game, it's a stack of these little blocks and you want to pull a block and then pull a block and then pull a block and whoever pulls a block and the whole thing collapses, they lose the game. Well, my strategy of the game is to try to make the most difficult pull I can for the opponent. And as they tug on that thing, barely nudge that thing, blocks just fall and go everywhere. It's a terrible game to play at midnight at your parents' house. 
Beloved, I want you to picture that in reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that last piece that you pull out and everything collapses. That is the necessity of the resurrection of Jesus. And so in this message this morning, I gave you three words, consideration, confrontation, and comfort. And so first I want to talk about consideration. And all I'm simply doing is I want you to consider a few different pieces in reference to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, I will be alluding to numerous portions of his word, and some of them will turn to, some of them we will not. But I want you just to sit back for a bit, freshly think about this. Perhaps you walked in here this morning, you believe in the doctrine of the resurrection. You believe with all your heart, you're excited, it's, it's Easter weekend, you're celebrating with the body of Christ, you're celebrating with your family, and you don't necessarily need to be reminded because you forgot or because you're not convinced. There is never a time when we, as believers, should think that we don't need to hear this. The doctrine of the resurrection, and it, shame on preachers, and I'm one of them, shame on me who does not come back to the resurrection numerous times throughout the year. That should happen. So you can write me an email and remind me next uh, November. Resurrection. What about the resurrection? You only talked about it on Easter. Because it's absolutely vital to every point of doctrine. So I want to start like this on this consideration point. What if he didn't? What if he didn't raise from the dead? What if when Jesus died, truly, he didn't rise? Stayed in the grave or somebody stole his body and hid it out somewhere? What if he's not alive? What does that mean? What does that mean for us in 2021 if somehow, someway you found out, wait a second, you mean he didn't come back to life? And unfortunately, at times, Christians can make an argument, and I will confess I've made this years ago and wish I would not have, but did to a co-worker I was working with at the time. The old argument where you say, yeah, but even if it's not true, if you follow the Christian ethic and follow what you see in the Bible, it still makes for a better life. And so even if I'm wrong, it's, it's still better than what you've got unsaved person. Well, the Apostle Paul told us the exact opposite of that logic. He said, actually, you're to be most pitied if it's not true. So just think through some of these with me. If Jesus hasn't been raised, the apostolic preaching is completely in vain. The Bible on your lap right now is of no value to you if he did not rise from the dead. The preaching of the apostles and the writing of the apostles is all centered on the fact that Jesus is alive. You are the body of Christ, and that Christ is alive. He rose from the dead. The apostolic preaching is completely in vain. I have wasted my life so far giving my life to the preaching of the word if he did not rise from the dead. Your faith and the faith of all believers is in vain. You're pitiful if he didn't rise from the dead. If Jesus was simply a good teacher, a moral teacher, somebody who had authority for a time, somebody who had a following, a touchstone in human history, and that's all he is, your faith this morning is in vain. It'd be like having faith in a favorite baseball player. 
He's a great person. He, he touched the world. He changed the world. And I have faith in him. Well, good. That means nothing. There's no hope there. The message is misrepresenting God himself. If we were to say, as the Apostle Paul argues here, he says that we've said God raised him from the dead. Now we're misrepresenting God. So he's not ruling out the fact that there's God. He's ruling out the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. So he's saying, even if we say he didn't rise from the dead, that means we've been lying about God the whole time. That means we've been telling lies about God. We said he did it, and he didn't do it. All Christians are still in their sins. I go to bed at night, and I fall asleep very fast. Part of that is just how I'm made. The other part of that is a thought that comes through my mind somewhat periodically, and you probably hear it said from this pulpit often. It's because it goes across the radar often. Is I go to bed with a thought, if I die while I'm asleep, I'm present with Christ immediately. I can have five cups of coffee and I'm just zonked as soon as I think about that theological truth. Try it. No, don't try it. Don't try that. As you rest in that fact, I'm not in my sins. Christ paid. He absorbed the wrath of the Father for Dan's sins. So I go to bed light as a feather, sinless in Christ. If he didn't rise from the dead, I am still in my sins. It's like somebody coming to your doorstep and saying, I know, for the last 35 years of your Christian life, you thought you were sin-free because of Christ. Let me warn you, you have been in your sins this whole time. The wrath of God hangs over your head, and you are hell-bound. If he didn't rise from the dead. All Christians who have died have perished eternally. My grandma and my grandpa, my aunts, my uncles, my great-grandparents, my great-great, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Martin Luther, the Apostle Paul, have all perished if he didn't rise from the dead. If Jesus has not risen, we are a pitiful group and should be mocked by this world. Because that is pathetic. Let me flip the coin over real quick now. What if he did? What if he did? A.W. Tozer says, The Christian church is helpless and hopeless if it is stripped of the reality and historicity of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, hopeless and helpless apart from the fact that Jesus is alive. So remember, we're still on this consideration category, right? We're considering these facts. So where are you at if, if it's not real? If it's not true, where are things? Well, it looks pretty bleak. It looks that we are in a terrible, terrible spot. But what if he did rise from the dead? What would that mean? The apostolic teaching is absolutely true. The holy, precious, inerrant, inspired word of the living God, the 66 books of Revelation, are absolutely true. And as you study, you see this is absolutely clearly the truth. The faith of all true believers has saved their souls. They believe in the resurrected Christ. Everything that was being taught by the apostles in reference to the gospel, in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ is true. Therefore, your faith in him, your trust in him, your following of him, you've been born again, made alive. Beloved, that is all absolutely true. 
The gospel message of, uh, message of salvation in Christ is true. If he rose from the dead, that validates the gospel, validates the message. And this world is in dire need of that message. This is where people start to get kind of upset with us as believers. I know that. It's okay, because it is the truth. You, Christian, are the only one who has the message that saves souls. As soon as you talk about the exclusivity of the gospel, game over with this world. If you talk about it as an option, you may slide through. But as soon as you say, no, salvation, no other name, period. You get saved through Christ, or you do not get saved. If he rose from the dead and validates everything, then, beloved, the only saving message in the universe is faith in Jesus Christ alone. All Christians who have died are in paradise with Jesus right now. My grandpa died in 2014, and I believe half an hour after I left his apartment, his eyes Whatever, whatever the intermediate state is, the next knowledgeable picture in front of my grandpa was Jesus Christ. I saw him, dies a half hour later, Christ. For all eternity in the presence of fullness of joy in Jesus. If he rose from the dead, beloved, we're waiting for him. If Jesus Christ is raised, and as our brother Mitch um, brought, raised and then ascended to the Father, we're told in the Scripture very clearly, He is returning. Jesus Christ will come back for His bride, for His church. Unfortunately, at times, eschatology gets so muddied and so disagreed upon, we almost want to hold back from that conversation. Well, I understand there's division, beloved, but don't hold back from the conversation of Christ's return. Jesus is coming back for his bride. He bought you with his own blood. You were purchased. You are owned by Christ. And he's coming back for his people if he rose from the dead. And we're promised in the scripture that we will be granted new bodies in the resurrection. Um, I encourage you at some point, read 1 Corinthians 15. Today's a great day to do that very thing. As you read that, you will find out that our resurrection is absolutely attached to his resurrection. If Christ hasn't been raised, then we won't be raised. And we are without hope in that respect. But if he has, then we most certainly look forward to resurrected bodies. We look forward to a new heavens, new earth, fullness of joy in the presence of God because of his resurrection. Now, think of the two categories I just gave you. If he didn't, and if he did. And I want to ask you this, Christian. Could the stakes be higher? Could it be, high, could it, could it be even higher than to consider all that we're banking on? It's centered on this truth. We're not simply gathered here today because... Um, this is what we do, because the calendar happened to tell us it's this day. We're gathered here today on Sunday because of the resurrection of Jesus. As the early church began to gather on that day, truly the stakes could not be any higher based on this event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so now I want you to think with me of eight points of proof. Um, 
Let me take a side note here. I didn't say this in the first service, but it just came to my mind, and I, I, I'd like to sh say this if I could um, get it out. See, Christianity, unfortunately, at times can come off as if, I'm trying to think of how best to put this, uh, we can come off as wingnuts, where, where almost you are irrational to be a believer. I am convinced the longer I'm a believer, it's absolutely irrational to deny God and his creation. So when I say proofs, I know that we could say, hey, I know he lives because he lives within my heart. You know, one of the songs. Um, that's true, and there's a testimony to that. But don't ever detach it from the facts of reality. So I just want to give you a few things to consider. I said eight, nine. Nine proofs. Number one, the actual empty tomb. Where did his body go? Um, I want to look at a passage with you, if you would. If you turn with me to Matthew 28. This passage is, and it's kind of a, it's a statement that isn't strong enough, but it's a striking passage because of what is done here. Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to be at verse 11. I'm sorry, chapter 27. Verse 62. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, While he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you, ought, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the tomb. Now drop down to verse 11 of 28. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests and all that had taken place, in reference to the resurrection. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story was, has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is one of the greatest texts to prove the depravity of mankind. The first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ denied it for cash. Are you kidding me? Seriously? How dark is the heart of man that he would actually witness the resurrection of Jesus and then deny it? 
for the sake of being bought off. And, not, and here's the irony of the whole thing, is that now, for the rest of church history, all the way up to 2021, I'm reading this before you as a witness to the fact of the resurrection. See, it's amazing to me when man plods and tries to get plans and tries to put God off, God uses it for his good, for his glory. So you and I have the witness of the guards testifying to the testimony of Jesus by trying to prove that he didn't actually raise. Absolutely astounding. We have the angelic presence and their announcement that he is no longer here, he has raised. We have the appearance to Peter. Over 500 people saw him. One of my favorite little phrases in 1 Corinthians 15 is he says, and some of these are still alive today. In other words, go ask them. Go talk to them. They'll tell you about the resurrected Christ that they were around. He was physically handled. He ate fish. And then there's another piece of evidence that I don't know if it gets enough press, if it gets enough... um, conversation about it. But I think one of the better, stronger, clearer witnesses to the resurrection of Christ is the transformation in the courage of the apostles post-resurrection. Think about this. So there's Jesus. The guards come and take him, and every disciple flees. They all run away. Now, I know we like to give Peter a hard time, right? So we say, oh, Peter, you you said even if I have to die with him, I won't deny him. Then he denied him. Can you believe that? All of them denied him. All the disciples left. They all fled. They all ran away. And then after the resurrection, after the ascension, we come to the book of Acts, and we see a powerhouse of a group of men. As the Spirit comes in power in Acts chapter 2, and they have the power of the resurrection behind them, you see strength and courage to the point of their death. Tremendous witness to the resurrection in the lives of these people. You see the church explode. We're told that thousands were added. In one day, 3,000 added to the church. you imagine that? 3,000 people, that's the baptisms, the discussions, the, the rich moment in history post-resurrection. In a day where they were be, being utterly beaten, trampled, and persecuted for faith in Christ. 3,000 are added that day. Beloved, do you see the testimony, the witness to the resurrection of Christ? And aside, on side of that, 2021, you're seated here in your heart with belief and faith in the resurrection of Christ. You are a witness to his resurrection right now. All the years of church history moving and moving and moving. Tiny corners of this world where people come to Jesus right now and have faith in him. Truly, the witness to the resurrection of Christ, of who he is, is overwhelming. And the church persevered and grew in spite of incredible persecution. Starting with Stephen, his rocks are thrown at him until he dies. Because he has every reason to believe in the resurrected Christ. Because in that moment, he saw Christ standing. 
the history of the church of Jesus Christ is flooded with martyrs. American Christians wrestle with that, I think, because it doesn't, it doesn't compute too well between our ears to think that the history of the church that we love and that we are a part of through Christ, its history is a history of blood, of death, of persecution. People harmed, people burned, people strangled and put to death because they love Jesus. That's the history of what, of who we are. What changes somebody so much that they would die for it? The entire New Testament is centered on an empty tomb. And with that, your entire Bible is centered on that. Wayne Grudem writes, The Gospels contain abundant testimony to the resurrection of Christ. In addition to these detailed narratives in the four Gospels, the book of Acts is a story of the Apostles' proclamation of the resurrection of Christ and of continued prayer to Christ and trust in Him as the one who is alive and reigning in heaven. The epistles depend entirely on the assumption that Jesus is a living, reigning Savior who is now the exalted head of the church, who is to be trusted, worshipped, adored, and who will someday return in power and great glory to reign as king over the earth. The book of Revelation repeatedly shows the risen Christ reigning in heaven and predicts his return to conquer his enemies and reign in glory. Thus, the entire New Testament bears witness to the resurrection of Christ. If Jesus Christ has been raised from the grave, this absolutely validates everything that he ever taught. Now, if you would, turn with me to Acts 17. And I want to speak briefly on confrontation. We've considered... And now let's look at the confrontation. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. The Apostle Paul writes, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man. And how does he validate the man? By a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is what is just amazing that he has validated everything and he has given assurance. Notice, please, it doesn't say to just Christians. It says to all men everywhere by his raising, by the fact that he has risen from the dead. And here's the part that's really got my brain going this morning is, hold on a second, Dan. So you're telling me every single human being ever to exist is divided by one person. Now, you see how, <laughs> how heated this is starting to get? If you were to say this to the watching world, by the way, this is the gospel we're called to take to them. 
If you were to say every single human being is divided based on this man. If you have faith and trust and serve and follow this man as your Lord, you have absolute eternal joy in paradise because he has paid the penalty for your sin. And if you reject him, you close your eyes to him, you turn your head away from him, you keep yourself distracted away from him until death, then you are in your sin. And you are, you are in torment. You are under the wrath of God for all eternity. And it never stops. And it says he's attested to everybody this fact. How? By raising him from the dead. Every single human being that has ever existed is either righteous in Jesus or not. I know that that, I don't know about you, but that truth is overwhelming to me to consider that. There's no, I've added Jesus to be a part of my life. It doesn't work that way. There's no, I, I am in part of this religion and this religion and this religion, and I kind of just put the whole rainbow together and I'll make it work. I'm happy doesn't matter because God is the one who judges and God is the one who has said plain and simple righteousness of Christ or not and that is that the entire human race is confronted by the truth of the risen Lord there's no fence writing you can't you can ignore but only for a little while you can't ride the fence on this one guys you can't you can't tell yourself that Someday, maybe I'll deal with the Jesus stuff. Someday, maybe I'll consider what it would be, what I need to do. There's no fence riding with Christ. You are not a Christian because your parents are Christians. You're not a Christian because your grandparents are Christians. You're not a Christian because you came into this building this morning. You're not a Christian because you wear the right clothes, read the right books, say the right things. You are a believer. You are a Christian by faith in Christ alone, that when he died on the cross, you see that as your substitute, his righteousness attested or accredited to you and your sins accredited to him. You swapped with him. And God has said he's the dividing line of all people. Do you remember that time in, uh, when Jesus speaking to his disciples I always, I'm always curious as far as, because I don't have the movie, I'm always curious what intensity was in the eyes of Jesus as he asked them, who do people say that I am? You know, if we did that right now, if I just said, hey, you know, guys, what are you hearing on the street these days? If, if you ask people who they think Jesus is, what's interesting is you might hear some of the same things the disciples said. People are saying that he's a great prophet. Some folks think that he's Elijah. Some folks say he's John the Baptist. All kinds of people say all kinds of stuff about him. He's a good moral teacher. You look in People magazine, top 100 people. You got the Beatles, you got Elvis Presley, you got Jesus. He's just another one of the millions. Who do people say? But then it's like, it's like he, Jesus grabs everything on the counter, just shoves it all out of the way and pulls up real close and says, but who do you say that I am? You're so fast about who other people say, I, I heard you, I get that. Who are you saying I am? In your heart, who do you say that I am? 
Because you can't answer that for others, and others can't answer that for you. And Peter, with a size 12 mouth, says, You are the Christ, Son of the living God. One of my favorite passages, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. Peter, you didn't stumble upon this act by accident. God gave you salvation. God made you alive. God revealed himself unto you, Peter. Our eternal location is based on our, respon- our, on our response to that question of this morning, 2021, April 4th, in this building right now, who do you say he is? Finally, comfort. Consideration, confrontation, and comfort. So here's, here's my best shot at seeking to apply. If this is true, if he really did, if everything I've been trying to say up here this morning, guys, if it's, if it's real, as real as this right here, or as real as the person sitting beside you, as real as the vehicles out in the parking lot, if it really happened, so he's dead, we watched him die, and now he's really alive, like he's right there in front of us, I can hear his voice, he's sitting there, he called us, you remember the disciples, they're out fishing, they go to the shore, if that's the case, how do we live? What do we, what do we live like? If this is true, what do you live like? What do you do? What do you spend your money on? What do you spend your time on? What do you, what do you give your energy to? Who has your conversation? Who has your heart? Who has your mind? If this is the case, then what are you doing? And, and what you're doing, does it line up with you believing this is the case? 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says, Comfort one another with these things. It's a passage speaking on the fact that we are not those who mourn as if there had no hope. We mourn as those who have every bit of hope. We still mourn, but we mourn as those who have every hope that there is a resurrection because of the resurrection of Christ. Here's a passage I'd like to draw your attention to. Romans chapter 8. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 33. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is in interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Please, beloved, please don't miss that. He's saying we are slaughtered, we are sheep being sent out to the slaughter, being killed all day long. The persecution is so thick. Next verse. No. 
in all these things, in other words, in the suffering, in the, the, the brutality, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, this is the message the church in America has got to hear afresh. I feel like in this country, we've almost forgotten the reality that death is going to happen to all of us. You will die. Apart from the Lord's return, you will die. I will die. It is going to happen. And the message of Christianity, the message of Christendom, the centerpiece is, you have victory over death. Christ was dead and made alive. Beloved, you don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Death is not the biggest fight. By no stretch. Think of the Apostle Paul. To live means my entire life is Christ. And to die is gain. What kind of an individual talks like that? An individual who truly, truly understands the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is kind of the end of that whole chapter, and it simply says that, um, let, me, let me read it for you, rather than a poor quote. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Guys, that is only true if Jesus didn't stay in the grave. That you and I have been set free from the fear of death. We need a reality check. The loss that loss in this life is promised and our eternity is settled. Life to come. That, my friends, is why we celebrate the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is central to who we are. Father, thank you for your word.